Hey, Jordan, what's up? Hey, Rob, what's up? Just chilling here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just had some lunch uh, with Judy, actually. I was just in Judy's office uh, in HR. Mm-hmm. Talking about, I don't know if you saw what was going on with uh, Ken this week. You see that? He was kind of up to some yeah, I did, antics. I, did. I saw it. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been talking to Judy about this. Uh, Ken, of course, his like really kind of disrespectful and immature prank um, that he played this week mm-hmm. on uh, uh, Rick Grinnell, the former uh, director of national intelligence in the Trump administration. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. On Veterans Day, kind of making a big joke yeah. with the whole Veterans Day thing. It really, you know, first of all, we're trying to do bipartisan compromise. I mean, how that's, we talk about this every single day at the office, right? Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, you have Ken kind of like putting himself out there. Uh, he's kind of making fun of uh, our, our, who's supposed to be our, like our partners across the aisle uh, in the intelligence community. Um, you know, he's making a big mockery of the whole Veterans Day thing. It's just his antics are getting really out of control. It reflects really badly on us. So we're, I was talking to Judy about you know, some kind of like formal reprimand or not that he's allowed in the office, but if he does get in, I feel like we can just, we can give him like a little a ticket or something that indicates that we're not really happy with how he's been acting. Oh, I, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Um, I mean, yeah, to your point, he disrespected the troops on Veterans Day, which is like a, a total faux pas. Like, that's just, yeah. come on. you That's a really uh, avoidable mistake. And yeah, he was like thumbing his nose at at Grinnell, who, you know, some people on the left, I think, unfairly like to say that he's unqualified for the job and just total Trump hack. And I, I think we need to show respect for people in the in the office because that's how the government is supposed to work. We're supposed to be deferential to people in power. Yeah. Uh, in terms of punishment, um, I'm not quite sure a written warning is sufficient because this is also something that he's been doing for a while. I mean, he also did the same to a member of Congress, uh, Steve King, if you remember last that's year. Right. And that's yeah. just like I do remember that. really disrespectful to people in power. And I just like, I don't know if a written warning is enough. Should we ban him from the show? I mean, I was kind of waiting for you to say it, but that's what I was thinking. Cause that's, I don't, I was, I was hoping it wasn't too far, but that's okay. kind of what I was thinking about what we should do. Yeah. All right. I guess he's banned. Damn. Okay. Well, I'm glad you agree. I'm yeah. glad we come to agreement on that. Uh, he had a good run, but yeah, unfortunately he is going to be banned uh, from doing the show anymore. Uh, on a more positive note though, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, but I worked with our, our graphic design team um, on creating a pretty cool uh, meme because, of course, Trump's doing this whole kind of like pretend coup, like temper tantrum thing. He's not he's refusing to concede. He's refusing to leave the White House. So I got to I got our boys down in the graphic design department to whip up a nice little meme. Uh, it's based on that movie Parasite. I don't know if you saw that. You see oh, that movie? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then so so we made this meme about you know Trump's Trump's hiding like under the floorboards of the house, and you know he's like this annoying guy that like won't leave the house. Because um, I've I watched that movie and I totally understand it. So, uh, and I was really happy that uh, professional Hollywood actor Bradley Whitford shared it on Twitter. Universal, everyone loved it, thought it was great. So as as difficult as this week has been, uh, seeing seeing Ken kind of like, you know, bring shame and disgrace to, to insurgents global headquarters. That was a nice little capper when it, when someone like a professional kind of actor shared this meme we put out there. So I was, I was pretty happy with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, that was really, really fun to see. Um, 
when when something like that you make takes off it's, it's always very cool yeah um and we really got to think about something of like you know that line in get out where he's like i would have voted for obama a third time if i could yeah like we should do something with that oh yeah because like wouldn't we all want to vote for him a third time yeah i mean that's really like in hindsight that could have been a big a big biden angle because like voting for biden it's just like voting for obama the third time yeah I, in hindsight i'm kind of regretting we didn't go down oh that my path goodness, now that i think about it jeez yeah we didn't leave it all on the field oh boy yeah well you know it's all all's well that ends well uh, we got president biden in there and everything's going pretty well i feel like you know not much honestly not much to complain about everything's going good smooth sailing baby Okay, hello. Hello and welcome. Uh, it's the Insurgents episode 47. Getting up there in the, in the episode numbers. Pretty pretty remarkable stuff. And this is Rob Rousseau here. Hey. Now, that was Jordan Yule. You just heard from Jordan. Um, what's up, man? How's it going? Is it, you're in Washington. And is, you, mm-hmm. Are you uh, you seeing any of the footage from the, the Million MAGA march? Yeah. Right now? Yeah. <laughs> did, yeah. it, did they get up to the million or what did it was it end up being less than that <laughs> no no but i love like the i love the comment from kaylee mcenany uh trump's press secretary where she was like wow look at these million people out <laughs> <Yeah>. there <laughs> like it's just because it's called million maga march and there's like very clearly not a million people there but she like just kind of went with it anyway it's like wow is this yeah. really the world's best coffee just <laughs> the clear hyperbole she just like thinks it's thinks it's yeah. true and literal well it is funny the whole like how it, the, the administration started with sean spacer and everything i almost didn't believe that like i felt like it was almost tongue-in-cheek that she was doing that and not just like I actually suggesting but i, I, I guess not, i couldn't stupid. put it past them you know you never know with them yeah uh yeah I, I, there's like you know some spats that i've, I've seen and there's some like pushing and shoving but like it's just mostly a bunch of like cosplaying like little freaks like yeah. they escorted <laughs> they escorted alex jones somewhere was what was one thing and then i saw another clip of like uh someone who got like clocked by a black block person and a bunch of MAGA people ran over like hold the line hold the line like this is like their dream right (laughs) to go out there not really face any like real threat uh have like an unnecessary level of of, like tactical gear on and and use terms that they hear in video games uh like call of duty and stuff and it's like this is their fantasy. Like in reality, they're like just kind of like loitering outside of a fucking potbelly sandwich place. Like that, cool. Yeah, that's awesome, guys. Great stuff. <laughs> yeah, you, you you did it. Well, I I want to laugh at them, but probably like you know, probably a good number of these guys will be in Congress within like five six years. <laughs> yeah. So you're looking at the entire Texas delegation for 2024. <laughs> exactly. So and the joke's gonna be on us. Yeah, and one of them is just gonna shoot me. So that's fine. Yeah, most likely, unfortunately. <laughs> That's kind oh. of a dark turn there. But I don't know. I, 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 I do think that, the, as we talk about with Kyle later on, and our guest Kyle Kalinske joins us later on in the show, I, I do think that some of this stuff is going to get violent. Like, I think it's Tea Party 2.0 developing, and we've got, like, the kind of conspiracy contingent and also, like, kind of this militia contingent. I think it's going to get – it's going to be a violent couple of years from the right. 
Yeah, and there's been something kind of odd too where I've seen people, even people that I like and respect, really kind of like suggesting that people are being kind of outrageous or hysterical by by worrying about that kind of thing. Um, but to me, I mean, I and I would be happy to be wrong. I mean, I I don't want to see any more violence that there already has been. Uh, but just that's something that I have been concerned with, considering like the the far right violence that we've seen throughout the Trump era um, in in ma- you know mass shootings that have taken place in Quebec, uh, in Pittsburgh, in El Paso, in New Zealand. Like there has been a like a significant increase in these kinds of like violent attacks, and then you have a situation where Trump is like intentionally stoking these flames, refusing to concede uh, the election basically convincing millions of people that the election is fraudulent. Um, I think it's pretty valid to be concerned about more kind of uh, attacks like that. I would hope to be wrong about it. I definitely, it is really like a powder keg. And, um, you know, that is what I was, so I was a little perplexed by some people really kind of like adamantly suggesting that to, to be concerned about that is like to be hysterical or like you're, you're cheering on like a new civil war or anything like that. But you know, it's, it's, uh, it's still not, it's still a scary situation. And as much as you can like laugh at some of these, these guys, um, which we should, because many of them are very ridiculous. Uh, you know, I don't think that means that, uh, there's no danger of that escalating in any way. I hope it doesn't, but to suggest that it's like an impossibility, I don't think is accurate either. I think people are also like kind of tutting any outrage or hysteria over like the coup talk. Um, And I think it's just kind of, it's not really either or just like, you know, be alert, but like, don't jump to conclusions yet. There's time. And I, I, I think it's just a fundraising ploy. And I think they're sending kind of, you could kind of pick up on what they're doing. Like they're just saying, like they've laid off people on the campaign side. Which is kind of standard practice for when you're wrapping things up. Um, yeah. And there's other like m- movement around the campaign. Uh, I-, I think it's just a, it's a fundraising ploy to pay off campaign debts and also to continue to gin up this outrage, which would then feed into, you know, the next right wing, quote, grassroots uh, movement for the next two years at least. So. I don't I I really don't see them trying to actually hold on to power. I think there's just too many people who one want powerful positions later on and don't want to risk losing that. Aren't quite as loyal to Trump and like in the in, in like and and would be willing to like actually go down with this. I think it's like they're there for him when it's beneficial to them they see him as a as a political player in the foreseeable future so it's like they're not going to just yet abandon him but like at this i think it's just going to be like oh we tried oh the courts shut us down they're so unfair china hacked the machines that's so unfair everything's so unfair donate here we're going to fight <laughs> back and then like yeah. take back the house uh with, and win every seat or something yeah I think that's probably the most likely outcome as well. But like we talked about last week and in our conversation with Kyle, I I do think there's a big difference between like Trump's tone the night of the election when it seemed like he was going to be a lot closer um, than than what has happened after. And even though I was taken aback after our last episode with the fact that like McConnell and others in the conservative movement were like still kind of not conceding and not going along with it. I think this is being done, like you said, morally for like cynical reasons. Uh, And like we talked about with Kyle, just kind of trying to like uh, protect Trump's ego and kind of convince his very passionate riled up base who believes all this stuff about election fraud, that they, they're they're giving some credence to that. 
Um, but I don't think I don't think it is going to go anywhere. Even though, like I said, if if it was just located in Pennsylvania, I think the reaction would be like completely different, and they probably would, in fact, be willing to put themselves on the line to to steal it. But yeah, yeah. I think that's something that's not gonna not gonna happen this time. Yeah, it's the once the results get certified and like the whole electoral college process plays out, then they'll just do that. But until it's actually final and set in stone, they're just like turning technicalities into like outrage cycles. Like that's it. Yeah, but like we've talked about, there are people as as cynical as that is, and even the fact that you can see that like they don't even really believe it that he has any chance of winning. There are millions and millions of people in the United States, uh, or you know, a significant number that do absolutely believe that this election was like completely fraudulent, uh, and are going to go on continuing to believe that. Which is like yeah. I don't really know how that's going to turn out. Like that's a that's a you know kind of a fucked up situation. Yes. Does not bode well for the future. <laughs> no. And I think this doesn't. is going to be like the, just the, as long as this political structure and system remains intact, it's two parties just back transferring power back and forth. That's it. Cause that's just going to be for until things substantively change or they find a new angle. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be turning discontent or, or, you know, denial, grief, whatever into the next grassroots movement just with different veneers whether it's fucking xenophobia or it's patriotism or whatever it's like there's going to be just some new (laughs) new angle and new movement that they're going to leverage to help get back uh, house control yeah and that's the um you know that's the the way that the conservative movement is going to be uh coping with the next couple of years and i'm already and i think you are as well we're both getting a little bit of a taste of how the sort of uh, the liberal establishment types are going to be uh, doing things as well and not really getting any good signs on that. I've been getting cyberbullied. I've been getting cyberbullied. Uh, I've had some like proud online centrists doing targeted harassment campaigns to me uh, to point out, to find some of my old tweets where I, comp- I talked about how I don't like Joe Biden. Uh, and they've taken this as like tacit. This, I'm, I'm somehow like secretly pro-Trump. I'm like a secret Trump guy. And even though I think Joe, uh, because I said Joe Biden sucks, that means I'm like seething with anger at the fact that um, you know, Trump lost. And you can just see how that's that's how they're going to treat any single bit of criticism about Biden's record. And they, they don't care. They don't care about any of the mass incarceration stuff. They don't care about the fact that Joe Biden was like a primary architect of the Iraq war, a big, huge supporter of that on the Democratic side. Any kind of criticism about it, about his immigration policy, about his climate policy, anything, it's always going to be framed in this way. Um, and it's just like, uh, this is going to be a, a long and depressing couple of years uh, covering this stuff. And I know you got, a, you got a little bit of that as well when you complained about his, uh, his uh, recent cabinet appointee, right? Yeah, the transition team. Um, Cecilia Munoz, who uh, was the chief defender of the immigration um policies of the Obama administration was just appointed last night to Biden's transition team. And I pointed out that she was also responsible for defending the kids in cages. Uh, and I was told that uh, it <laughs> it's, it was uh, necessary when they did it because the cages were <laughs> went up with ventilation. It's told I support human trafficking, all these like weird, yeah, these bizarre, were nice cages justifications yeah progressive woke cages Uh, it's just like no one actually cares that 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 rhetorical device is gone they don't care anymore um and of course it's just it's just disheartening because 
people were actually aware of what was happening through the work of activists raising awareness and it was you know gained steam because trump was doing it now they don't care anymore and that fucking sucks i don't know why yeah. i'm surprised i'm not surprised it's just it's depressing because this is what yeah, it's it going to be like for four years yeah i i think i kind of I don't ever know if I believe this, but I did kind of hope that some of the people that have become a little bit more radicalized about these issues over the last four years would then be more willing to hold the Biden team accountable for this kind of stuff, like focusing on immigration specifically um, and not just kind of sweep everything under the rug as they did, as many of these folks did under the Obama era. But you can tell already that that's not really going to be the case. Um, and like you said, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a woke family separation. It's going to be progressive imperialism. It's going to be it's going to be progressive uh, climate denialism. And it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's it is depressing. It's depressing to, to think about. But uh, that's why I was happy to have on uh, Kyle Kalinsky this week. Uh, I always appreciate getting his perspective on this kind of stuff. He's got a very strong uh, idea of, of how the Democratic Party needs to kind of um, shift and how this kind of civil war, this kind of burgeoning civil war in the in the in the Democratic Party, um, how the sort of people on the more progressive side of that, the Squad and AOC and Ilhan Omar, how they need to respond to this kind of uh, uh, split within the party. So we went pretty long with him. So I feel like we should just bring him on. You want to just bring on Kyle Kalinsky? Let's do it. Get in here, Kyle. Uh, get in here, Kyle. We're <laughs> so yeah, that's enough. Uh, we will be back in just a moment with our conversation with Kyle Kalinsky. We're joined by two-time returning guest now, two-time champion Kyle Kalinsky, uh, also known as Secular Talk on YouTube, host of the Kyle Kalinsky Show. Kyle, what is up, my friend? What's going on? Oh, nothing. Just watching, you know, the season finale of America, just like you guys, yeah. and wondering how all of it's real. That's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> how was uh, how was your whole election night? Because you had, you had a pretty wild time, right? Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's weird because, you know, there was a chance that Alex Jones was going to be on the Joe Rogan podcast <laughs> with me. And I mean, you want to talk about it like a shock to the system, a surprise where, you know, we're going into election day and I'm feeling like maybe the thing I'm participating in will actually be bigger than the election. <laughs> <laughs> that felt really, really weird, but thankfully he didn't end up coming. I don't know if it was Joe or if it was Alex that canceled it, but Alex was doing like his own um, election coverage. And I, I don't know, it would have felt like a pretty big burden and a pretty big responsibility for me to have to, um, you know, basically try to fact check him throughout the night as he says insane things, because I know he's going to say insane things. And just so everybody it's understands. It's kind of his like, shtick, yeah. It's his shtick. And the thing is, like, pe <laughs> people might have criticized me and been like, you know, how dare you sit across from him. But you got to understand, the original plan was me, Joe, and Tim Dillon, and then Alex kind of invited himself. <laughs> so the fact that, like, I was the original who was supposed to be on puts me in a very strange position where if I'm like, well, now I'm not coming because Alex is coming. It's like, I don't know. It's just so too high school-y for me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to yeah. be like petty and, and stuff. So I was going to go either way, but I'm, I'm a lot happier that he wasn't there because it would have been hard. It would have been hard to fact check him in real time. It would have been hard to give people actual information because he would have probably contested the most basic of facts. Like when I was trying to explain to them the breakdown of like 
the mail-in votes are going to be counted second, and those are very pro-Biden, and the on-the-day votes are going to be counted first. Those are very pro-Trump, so it's going to look like Trump is doing better than he is on election night. Like, if I say that in front of Alex, he'll be like, no, it's fake news, not real. <laughs> and I'd have to argue about that for an hour and a half, and it, and it wouldn't have been fun, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, it just derails the conversation. For sure. I wonder if Rogan's regretting it all, the the move to Austin. Now he's got, he's got Alex Jones just dropping by now. I every know, now right? and then. That's got to be awkward. That's got to be super awkward because he's he knows like he knows that Alex is kind of crazy, you know, like he gets it. Um, But he feels some sort of personal affinity to him since they met in like the 1990s and they've been friends since then. And so but but what happens now is every time he comes on the podcast, they'll just get hammered by the media. Like L.A. Times will write articles and be like Alex Jones with his anti-vaccine nonsense. And you can see if you watch that podcast, Joe's like trying to kind of check him in real time. But it's just not possible because Alex, every sentence out of Alex's mouth is insane and incorrect. And it's like. If you really check him on every single thing he says, the the entire podcast would be nothing but an endless array of fact checks. Yeah. And, I, and so, like, it's a hard thing to balance between being interesting and entertaining and also just making sure this madman is not getting away with saying that, you know, Tupac is still alive and he did COINTELPRO <laughs> or some shit. Yeah. Well, that I happen to agree with. That's true, yeah, though. I mean, like, you've you got to say something false. Yeah. <laughs> Bad example, boys. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like? Because I didn't, I didn't get a chance to, I was doing my own stream, probably around with the same size, kind of the same kind of level audience, but uh, I didn't, I didn't get to watch, but um, what was it like, uh, like the night of once you were doing it and um, were you, were you able to kind of, do you think successfully get across your kind of like more progressive, uh, more kind of leftist perspective um, uh, definitely, throughout definitely, the course of the night? Definitely. I've been on his show, I think four times now. And you know, what you find is if he views you as an expert or being knowledgeable on something, he defers to you quite a bit. And so, you know, the first like bunch of podcasts I did with him, it was very clear that like he's interested in, in whatever I had to say, even at times that he may disagree. Um, but what was really interesting about this time is he did say at the beginning of the podcast, like the reason you're here is because I think you know what you're talking about. And him and Tim Dillon were basically going to bullshit and mess around. And I'm supposed to be there to be <laughs> kind of like the straight news guy as they say whatever the hell they want. And they're funny and all that stuff. And um, what's really interesting is that if you go back and watch it now, I look like Nostradamus because I was saying the very like, and, and this wasn't hard to figure out anybody who's like a real political junkie, figured this stuff out. I'm sure you guys may have known this to one extent or another, depending on how many articles you read beforehand. But like what I said before, how the mail-in votes in most of the states are counted second, and those are overwhelmingly Democratic versus the votes on the day, which are overwhelmingly pro-Trump. So as the results were rolling in, and it looked like, oh my God, Trump's going to do it again, because you saw like Wisconsin and Michigan were red, I had to be there to temper them and say, listen, that's not gonna hold like Michigan and Wisconsin are barely even swing states in this election Biden's up like eight points in those states on the average of polls so it looks like it's red right now but it's ultimately it's not going to be red so like relax basically was my my argument to them and if you go back and watch it now it's kind of amazing how you go read the comments and it's like oh my god Kyle was right about everything oh my god Kyle was right about everything oh my god how did this guy know what was going to happen and again it wasn't that difficult I just read the articles beforehand and you know learned about how the votes are going to roll in and knew that a very likely scenario was what they call the red mirage scenario and I just went from there but in the moment it was a little more difficult because you know 
know, I had basically Joe Rogan and Tim Dillon responding to everything I was saying with like, I don't know, man, it looks like Trump is going to do it again. It looks like 2016 again. And I had to be like, no, it's still like there was one moment where Jamie says, oh, in Vegas now, the odds are that Trump is an overwhelming favorite because there was like one moment where basically everything was rolling in and it was red. And so apparently, you know, everybody who was making bets, they were betting big on Trump. And so I think he asked me at that point, like, so what are you thinking now? And I was like, it's still a 65% chance Biden's going to win. And, you know, when you're sitting there and it's the middle of the night and it's a, it's a red map across the board and I'm put on the spot like that, did I have a doubt where I could have been like, maybe not? Yeah, of course I had doubts, but I stuck with what, you know, the data was showing and, and said it. And now in retrospect, I look smart. But at the time, I'm sure people were watching me going, look at this lib <laughs> cuck commie who's, you know, doing wishful He's thinking coping. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. but now, who, now yeah. who's doing wishful thinking? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wasn't so much like uh, in a position to where I was like, predicting biden to win i was uh very concerned but one thing i did expect that people didn't seem to pick up on was how wrong the polls were yes uh, and we've talked about it on this show a lot over the past couple months it was just kind of warning people like do not get complacent with the current polls because that doesn't take into account like just people's you know <laughs> lackadaisical attitudes towards uh, uh voting or complacency and voter suppression um and people went in, like there was a poll out of Wisconsin that really struck me. It was like Biden had like a 12 or 14 point lead in this Washington Post poll. And Trafalgar, who was, you know, a, a right wing polling place, but sometimes picks up on where things actually are, um, had it like a two point race. And someone from the Post was like, obviously, I'm biased, but whoever ends up being wrong on this should find another line of work. And the post ended up being like wildly wrong because yeah. mm -hmm. polls and it was yep. not a Biden 12 point victory in, in Wisconsin. Um, and I, 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 I think that again, we're having this conversation around polling uh, and people not really seeing what's happening. Um, and I think that kind of underscores an element of people being unwilling to actually talk to uh, the right. And I think that's something that you do really well and you have gained a reputation for being someone who's willing to talk to political adversaries uh and you know lay out what you believe and i think that's kind of represented in the fact that you're willing to talk to joe rogan who is to some liberals just the the worst most yeah. evil entity you could possibly talk to we might get canceled just by association just from you having <laughs> talked to him. Like, that's how dangerous this is well yeah i mean listen i th one of the things i pride myself the most on is sort of like deconverting people i mean i i always get the thing that makes me most happy is when I'm at one of these political events like Politicon and, you know, doing like a meet and greet and I have like 30 people come up to me and tell me they used to be like Ben Shapiro fans or Steven Crowder fans or even worse if they were like legit alt-right people and then they watched enough of my stuff and they were deconverted and now they consider themselves lefties. I think that if to the extent that somebody actually believes in their ideas and their philosophy and what they're talking about, like if you really do believe in it, then what the hell are you afraid of? You can go talk to almost anybody. Are there some people who are too far gone? Of course. Am I going to convince like a legit like hardcore Nazi? No. There are some people who are too far gone. Duh. But... I think that oftentimes too many people on the left give up hope too early for people, you know, when somebody's, you know, might actually be center right or somebody might just be young. And even if they have an extreme ideology, but they're freaking 20 years old, that person, that's not set in stone. Who knows what the hell they're going to think when they're 33, 35, whatever it might be. And like, I think it's a lot easier to move people 
than other people think it is. If you just, if you're open, if you're honest, if you wear your heart on your sleeve and if you, you know, do your best to tell people how you see the world. And so that is something that makes me happy. But Jordan, to the point that you made about, about the polls, I have to cop to being wrong about that as well, because I said my prediction uh, on the day of the election before we started getting results was I thought the polls were going to be exactly right, which means Biden was going to win 351 electoral votes. Um, and I said, worst case scenario, 320, because I said he might lose uh, North Carolina and Georgia, even though he's up in North Carolina and Georgia in the average of the polls. And I was wrong. Even my worst case scenario wasn't the reality. And so to your point, yeah, you had, and I actually, I just pulled up the tweet as you were talking, Jordan. I have the um, the actual pro-Trump swings in each state. So Wisconsin, Trump swung plus eight on election day. Iowa, Trump plus seven. Florida, Trump plus six. Michigan, Trump plus five. Texas, Trump plus five. Ohio, Trump plus five. New Hampshire, Trump plus four. And it goes on and on, like even Pennsylvania, Trump plus three. So like basically every state there was a big pro-Trump swing and these pollsters weren't able to pick it up that there's still like a shy Trump vote out there and he increased his his turnout and so I think that there's like there is a disconnect between your average online um, Democrat or lefty and the electorate and I think it's incumbent upon people like us to sort of understand why that is and and address it in a way that's substantive where we don't have these kinds of situations where we're like flabbergasted at the fact that you know, Donald Trump is actually significantly more popular than we thought. And I honestly think that just comes down to the fact that Joe Biden and the Democrats really didn't believe in much other than we're not Trump. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that, that, that's why I think the down ballot wins weren't there. Yep. Uh, Robbie, you were that's saying exactly sorry. right. Well, no, I was just going to say that's um, well, first of all, the down ballot races, obviously, because Joe Biden was too left and they're the Democratic yeah, Party yeah, yeah. were too, too uh, cultural Marxism. You that's can't obviously that. we know we could. That's a whole can of worms there. No, but we're going to get into that. But <clears throat> I was just thinking that that's what I think that's what give, we're giving people um, the night of that, that kind of 2016 feeling. Like, even though I felt like Biden was probably still going to win, I think a lot of people had sort of talked themselves into like a massive Biden landslide. Um, and then when that, when it seemed like that wasn't going to materialize, cause also we had been, we had been talking for, you know, weeks ahead of time about how Trump's going to probably declare himself the, the winner of the election. He's probably going to try and get the courts to kind of fuck with the result and kind of get it to pass like that. And that was the concern was that, um, you know, even if Biden managed to win, but it was close enough that it gave Trump this opportunity to then, uh, you know, steal the election using the courts and using this uh, kind of nefarious means, that's going to be a problem. But fortunately for, for everybody, it seemed like it wasn't quite close enough that Trump could get away with that, even though amazingly, he still tried that same strategy. And that still seems to be ongoing. I, but that's- uh, that's all so accurate. That's exactly what I was thinking is that, it, and I said it on air, if, if if this was like the year 2000 and we're talking about 270 electoral votes, 271 electoral votes, yeah, they would find a way to probably successfully steal it. But yeah. since we're talking about 306 electoral votes, it's just a little bit too far out of their grasp where it's like they have to make something happen in like three or four states. And it's like, maybe they'll find a way to do some sort of nonsense fake recount in Georgia and say, oh, actually Trump won. But it's like, okay, you still lost Arizona, you still lost Pennsylvania, you still lost Nevada so like you're not gonna be able to do it but you're right like <laughs> that that concern is a super real concern because the Trump thing listen I don't I'm not I don't necessarily go as far as like the normie Democrats who think like no, no no we're actually in the middle of the coup as we speak right now but it is incredibly creepy to watch an American president just sort of pretend like the results aren't the results and just you know steadfastly ignore it and just tweet like obviously I won you know what I mean like yeah. that's that's so weird <laughs> we crossed this strange line that I thought we'd never cross in my lifetime 
Well, and even like in the last episode, I was talking about how it seemed like even though he was pulling that kind of stunt, that the conservative movement, like the Republican Party establishment and the, the folks in the media, Fox News, et cetera, were kind of getting ready to toss him overboard. But they have been kind of like willing to at least toe that line, even if they it seems like that my feeling is that they still know that he's not going to win, but they're still kind of like going along with it, I guess, in order to like protect his ego or to kind of signal to the MAGA people that they're taking this very seriously and everything. But it's, you know, it's a fucking dangerous game that they're playing. Like, even if, even if they're doing it for these, these purely, uh, you know, all like reasons just to, just to like protect the ego of the, the toddler president. But, you know, it's a, it's a pretty fucking dangerous that they're, that they're going along with it, even to the extent that they are. It, it definitely is. And, you know, if, from what I've seen it appears to be like kind of 50 50 as to which ones are are siding with trump and which ones are like let's stop being silly i've seen a split but to your point yeah i think it's more to sort of let the base know that hey i'm i'm with you because let's face it trump even though he's losing he has the heart of the republican base so they have to like tread carefully or they risk losing their own seats when they're up for re-election, you know what I mean? But you're right, it's like the rawest of political calculations that we've ever seen that some of these people are making, to the point where they're willing to just make these absurd arguments about how, well, maybe there's a chance, and it's like, ugh, what are you <laughs> yeah. talking about? Not even close. I think part of it's also just that, like, they are setting up for Tea Party 2.0. Right, Like, yeah. this is, like, we're seeing it today in D.C., there's, there's, you know, tons of, of clips and videos of uh, Proud Boys and, and just MAGA people in general gathering in D.C. And Trump did a drive-by in his motorcade to kind of like rev up the crowd. And a lot of this is geared toward like setting up a, like a grievance narrative like, oh, well, this is stolen. This is cheating. He tweeted out a clip of someone from like the, the polling machine a company or manufacturer saying that par- some of their parts, like pretty much every device, but some of their parts are manufactured in China, and they're using that to insinuate that this was, you know, China hacked these machines and they're stealing the election, all this bullshit. And really, the outcome is probably is going to be like they just stomp their feet and leave. But then you've got four years of grievance that they could protest on and build up this tea, like another Tea Party style movement to get people revved up for midterms. And I don't think people really see that yet well, there's not really much of an it's all about like the electoral results and really it seems like this is about a long-term play to get people fired up for midterms well and i was also i've, I've been thinking a lot about like 2009-10 and how when those initial tea party protests started it was so easy to just be like oh look at this is so ridiculous like they're stupid costumes and this is never going to go anywhere and that's you know that's a dangerous opinion to have and i think there's a there's a lot of folks that were kind of like making fun of this this very admittedly very lame million maga march or whatever in washington today but uh i think people are getting a little comfortable with the idea that like oh trump's defeated trumpism is going away and it's like that's not that is not true at all. It's not going no. anywhere. No, yeah. I think he's going to run in 2024. I'll, I'd make that bet right now that he's going to run in 2024 and that he's going to continue his rallies. He's never going to actually formally admit defeat. He might do like a you can't fire me, I quit type thing or might do yeah. a, for the good of the country, I'll step aside, but I'll be back even stronger in 2024. You know what I mean? Like, I, and, and I really do think we're in this weird like postmodern political era now where... And you saw this, this isn't like the Dem- Democrats are innocent either, because you saw this with Russiagate, how yeah. they came up with these like absurd scenarios of like, you know, maybe Donald Trump was a Russian asset since the 1980s or whatever that Jonathan Shade article was like, Rachel Maddow went nuts and it was all like to downplay the legitimacy of the election. And now you're just seeing, 
you know, the the Republicans doing it in an equally, if not more absurd way where like the funny thing to me is even if you grant them like all of their conspiracy theories, Biden still wins. Cause what are we talking about? We're talking about like, maybe you can chip away and get like a thousand extra votes for Trump in some of these swing States when he's winning the mar- the winning margins, even in the tightest States are like 15,000 votes, yeah. which is simply not enough to say that it was stolen. But it's like, it's just the, the fact that they want Trump to win overrides the reality of the situation enough in their own mind to the point where they they just want to throw their hands up and say, oh, it must be that it's fake. Yeah, there's absolutely going to be uh, like people like conservatives in the United States who just like will not accept that that was no, that was a legitimate election result. Um, I, you know, and you're right, though, that I think um, the liberals into by by not looking inward in 2016 and like examining the ways that they failed and they fucked up and instead just kind of deflecting everyone, everything to this conspiracy and, 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 um, kind of turning that into such a huge media narrative that eventually kind of fizzled out. They did kind of set the stage for that. And, um, I agree that it's, I think it's much more ridiculous now, but you know, there, there, there is a kind of a direct parallel to the way that the both, they both reacted to those big defeats. And it's also because like, if you look at like the popular vote count right now, Biden's up five million. When all said and done, he's probably going to win by about four or five percent. So like, it's actually a, a just millions and millions and millions of votes more. And to have this like absurd conspiracy theory, like no, our guy actually really won. It's like, first of all, we all know the system should be run by the popular vote anyway. Forget the electoral college. But either way, you want to count it. Biden wins, and it's not even that close. It's the same margin that Trump beat Hillary by. Imagine Hillary went to the courts in 2016 and was like, I think I actually won. <laughs> I mean, just the fact that she waited a day to concede, they were freaking out over that. Right, like, <laughs> exactly. And, and and they accurately pointed out that she's ridiculous, and she's like, this is her like clinging on to false hope. What the hell do you call this? Where it's like, there hasn't been a single Trump tweet since he lost that hasn't been about him losing, where he's trying to like cover it up and act like it's not true. Yeah, it's just a wildly different scenario. And again, I really fear uh, we're seeing some of these, um, like some of the footage out of DC, like it's starting to turn violent uh, in DC now. Like there's a lot of fights, even inner fighting between like Proud Boys and other MAGA people. It just, everyone's just upset. Uh, they're in denial or some have moved on to anger. And um, it's I think it's going to be that they're going to continue to enrich that uh, the right. I think they're going to pump money into this type of infrastructure like they did with the Tea Party. Um, And I I do worry about how this kind of stuff impacts because this is going to mobilize them for sure. I worry about how that's going to impact midterms. But I mean, before we get there, we have to talk about uh, the Georgia runoff races because that would ultimately determine the control of the senate uh kyle i mean do, do you have any predictions you you you, you called yourself nostradamus earlier do you have any predictions for the uh <laughs> the georgia runoff races well my i'm my georgia predictions will not be as accurate as my uh trump biden predictions but i will say that the polls show it's a split so the polls show that loffler is going to lose and the polls show that purdue would win so in other words ossoff would go down um, but I don't know, man. I mean, I think the safe bet is one and one. So Republicans win one, Democrats win the other. Um, but ah, fuck, it could go either way. It could be two Republicans win. It could be two Democrats win. Well, I don't know. I saw that clip of Ossoff though, talking about his platform, really inspiring stuff uh, on Axios. So I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that you would think that I'm sure he loves puppies, dying, dude. falling over themselves to vote for him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, and I covered that because the thing that made me so annoyed by it is how 
he clearly thinks that the conventional wisdom is actually like politically potent. So he thinks it it makes him like a savvy politician to say he's against the Green New Deal and against Medicare for all. And it's like, no, even if you don't agree with those things, you should be smart enough to understand that you should say you do because those are the actual popular positions, you know? And Republicans love to fire up their own base and talk about like the wall and all these things. And Democrats love to just like repeatedly spit in the eye of their base and say like everything you want is impossible. So shut up. <laughs> yeah. What if we just uh, expanded Medicaid? How about that? Then maybe like another thousand people might be able to get health care. Yeah. One just a hundred dollar premiums. Yeah. Just the whole Supreme Court thing, too. Whereas like. They, like in order for any for and Biden's agenda to pass in any way, like for anything good to happen whatsoever, that's if Biden even like pushes for that or fights for it. Uh, you're going to have to have a different Supreme Court situation. Otherwise, this like six, three Supreme Court, extremely reactionary Supreme Court is going to like shoot everything down. Uh, and then you have like Joe Manchin and Ossoff being like, no, 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 I don't support. I don't support. I don't support expanding that at all. And like, <laughs> it's like it's weird. Like you'd think you'd want to motivate people to like come and vote and like del- if you're going to you know bust your ass to like deliver to the senate to the democratic party there should be like well what are you going to do with that power and it's so so far they're just being like well we're not going to do anything so it's like okay yeah. well cool it's even worse too because i just saw a clip of dick durbin um doing an interview and he basically was like the first thing that we're going to prioritize is working with the republicans and doing some sort of bipartisan compromise and oh my God. A- as we all know compromise just means we're going to agree with Republicans on their terms. So, you know, you could see Democrats agreeing with Republicans on doing, you know, Medicare cuts and Social Security cuts and then telling the public, no, 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 we're not cutting it. We're reforming it. And this is actually saving the programs in the long run. And then they all take a victory lap after cutting grandma's Social Security. And it's like, this is the stuff that's going to happen. So, you know, I said on my show, I think that the most productive portion of Biden's administration will probably be his first week where he'll do a number of uh, executive actions that like people like us would look at and say, oh, okay, that's good. Like he got us back in the Paris Climate Agreement. He brought back some of the regulations on like coal plants that Trump removed. Like he'll do some good things in the first week through executive action. But I'm not kidding when I say after that, it will be nothing but perpetual wanting to shove a fork in our eye because it's going to get ugly, and to the extent they do anything after that, it's going to be stuff that Republicans want, and the country's going to slowly erode because people really can't get by right now with COVID and and no more stimulus checks, and it's getting ugly. Which, it's so I, I had not seen the Durbin clip, but of course, that's what they're going in for, and it's just like... It feels like you're getting hit in the face with a two by four because at the same time, Obama is, you know, kind of on this like, what is it, a new book he's coming out, his new memoir. Um, People are pulling excerpts from that and that's getting reported out. And one of them is about how uh, when talking when talking to Biden um, and uh, about a a bill that they're trying to compromise on with Mitch McConnell and McConnell had told them like, oh, you're under the impression that I care. Just like this is, this is uh, th- this is who we're we're expecting them to negotiate with. This is who, uh, we're hoping, uh, treats uh, meets us halfway and, and and works with us on 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 things. No, he's gonna come in. He's fresh off an election re-election campaign and re-election victory. He's gonna come in and shut everything down so they can run on Democrat inaction for for twenty twenty two. There's no compromise in Mitch McConnell. Of course, yeah. No, of course there's no compromise. I mean, the real question is, are Democrats just like total rubes or 
is it really the case that it's the nefarious situation where they're since they're all bought off by the same donors that like the Democrats or the Washington generals yeah and it's they're all basically yeah, like it's theater and they're paid to lose and like everybody kind of understands like, no, we all kind of agree on a corporate agenda and that's really why we're here and that's what we're going to represent and everything else is just kabuki theater, you know? So like, is it that they're the dumbest people on the planet who just have no ideology and view compromise in and of itself as a good thing or are they actively nefarious and just in in bed with the Republicans and this is all a show? That's the real debate that we should be having and, it, and you know it's an interesting debate it's an interesting question because i think it's probably a mix i think some of them are probably genuinely stupid and i think others are probably you know they, they kind of know the game and they're that they, they know what they're really doing is just serving corporations so i don't know what yeah. do you guys think about that well it seems like it's kind of like a like a generational thing almost too because it's like i think there's certain like people that have been in washington for a long time that do kind of see politics like that and you know they're out in the senate and they're kind of yelling at each other and then they're in the back having scotches together and slapping each other on the back kind of thing but now i think especially in like the republican party there are like true believers that are there that actually do believe that the democrats are like these far left communists and they're and they're like super dangerous uh you know like baby eating uh, uh sadistic uh, evil people um so that's what the kind of thing i think i think part of it i think that that situation we are describing has always kind of been a part of politics but there really are people that have now grown up within the conservative media ecosystem that they created to like control the rubes but actually they actually like drank the kool-aid and trump is one of these people i think he actually believes that stuff as well yeah but i think the problem on the democratic side is that it's too easy for the left to be kind of absorbed into the system and be defanged in a way and you know i think the best example of this was when alexandria ocasio cortez called uh, nancy pelosi the mama bear and every, i think lefties all around the world just cringed and facepalmed at that and were like oh my god it's happening where <laughs> and now the recent interviews too show me where her head is at where she's saying hey let's not give in to republican framing let's unify moving forward so she was saying this to like other democrats who were pointing their finger at her for like the the house democrats underperforming in the election and my argument to her has always been like well hold on there why do you want to unify with corporate hacks? Like, Nancy Pelosi is the problem. The corporate Democrats are the problem. So, really, you should be acknowledging that we actually have a civil war on the Democratic side, and you should be trying to win that civil war by any means necessary, including leveraging the power of your following, because you have the people on your side. And so I think this kind of, like, left-wing, um, naive approach to politics, where it's like they kind of want, in their heart of hearts, to get along within the Democratic Party. I think that that's the problem. And and to the extent that we are trying to take over the Democratic Party, I think it should be a hostile takeover. I think you need like a loud, aggressive, boisterous left that's unapologetic and swings at corporate Democrats just as hard as, as we swing at the right. And I just simply don't see that. Every single one, every single person who has promise who does that eventually kind of gets like weak in their approach once they get in the Democratic Party, once they get behind closed doors. And I don't think that that's nefarious. I don't think it's because, you know, she's now corrupt or whatever. No, I think she thinks this is the best approach. But I also think it's incredibly ineffective. And it's amazing when you look at the reality of what happened in the election, that every single Medicare for all supporting Democrat got reelected. Even in swing districts, you had a Republican plus six districts where Democrats won and they were for Medicare for all. So like the left wing uh, ideas did really well in the election and the corporate Democrats got wiped out. People like Max Rose, the blue dogs, like these people got wiped out, but somehow it's still the left's fault. 
And instead of responding and saying, actually, no, it's not our fault. It's your fault because you're corrupt. The response from AOC is more like, hey, stop giving into Republican narratives. Let's get along. It's like, I just wish that the left kind of, the left that actually believe in, in the right things, I wish that they grew a spine and they would start throwing some haymakers and recognizing that the real approach to flex power and to win is actually the original Tea Party approach, which was basically came up saying, we hate John Boehner just as much as we hate Barack Obama. And they took on their own party just as much as they took on the Democrats. And that ended up working because you had the culmination of the Tea Party president, Donald Trump, getting elected. And you had a lot of their agenda get implemented in terms of policy. And I just don't see that on our side. I see I see Democrats kind of get absorbed into the party. And that breaks my heart when I see it. Yeah, uh, that their theory of change. While I don't obviously, I hate the outcome. Like it, it worked because they knew they weren't going to get anywhere by just being deferential to those in power in the party because it interests those people to maintain order. Like we're not going, we're not going to make great gains when we just you know unilaterally disarm at the request of you know a Pelosi or a Schumer uh, to to do what protect Abigail Spanberger. Uh, or, or Connor Lamb, like when 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 are those people ever going to stick out their necks for for us? And you've got people, uh, you know, pounding pavement in Detroit and and in Minnesota and in Ilhan and Talib, who you know were it was reported out by Ryan uh, Grimm at the Intercept that uh, the Biden campaign tried to dissuade them from doing that. They didn't want them out there knocking doors because a lot of people thought that uh, the, even their association. Jesus with, with, Christ. with Biden uh, and them <laughs> would, would hinder them in the general and could cost them those key states when in reality the inverse happened they had record yep. turnout in Ilhan's district and that 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 was a catalyst for winning Minnesota and it's just absolutely mind-boggling that we're repeating these same things and somehow expecting that like this milk toast offering of oh advancing on the Affordable Care Act which so many people hate and everyone agrees is broken and fundamentally out of reach for so many people that's what you're going to run on when so when popularity polls time and time again show there is just a, a wide consensus that a universal system is easier and 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 way more uh, uh, tolerable and, and wanted and desirable by most Americans it, it just it, we refuse to accept that like you say because it is a party that is just it, it deeply beholden to corporate interests yeah and and to your point they had Kasich in Ohio Kasich oh, endorsed him. And, dude, you're going to set me off. <laughs> Biden, got, Biden got destroyed in Ohio. Same margin. Like, same margin as 2016. Exactly. And then also you have um, uh, Governor, no, was yeah, Snyder, right, in Michigan. And he endorsed, he's the guy who oversaw the destruction of Flint. Mm-hmm. And when you actually look at the, the vote totals in Flint, Biden did worse than Hillary did there. Yes. So it's like everywhere you see little bits of evidence everywhere that when you have like these Democrats cuddling up to these Republicans, these corporate Republicans, that it, it doesn't even have the effect that they think it has, which is, oh, we'll get, you know, the, the moderate voters on our side or the moderate Republicans. Trump got a higher percentage of Republicans in this election than he did in 2016. He had 89 yeah. percent in 2016 and he got 94 percent this time. And he... So, it just doesn't work that approach apart from substantively being wrong because substantively that means you want to be you want to have more moderately conservative policies as opposed to going left right Kasich in ohio was so widely despised in democratic areas it was mind-boggling that they ever cozied up to this guy he ran in, in 20 2011 2012 
he uh, with the Republican state legislature passed this bill, Senate Bill five, which would and you guys probably remember end uh, public sector unions mm. in Ohio. And so at the same time, Scott Walker was doing it in Wisconsin and voters in Ohio and activist organizations and, you know, even the state Democratic Party worked tirelessly to get that on the ballot as a referendum and shut it down that way. And it was a huge win. This is also the same guy who ushered in uh, fracking, cozied up to gas companies, which then led to a spike in earthquakes in Ohio and people's water being tainted and poisoned and people having uh, their mineral rights basically stolen from them through like a really predatory horizontal drilling practice where if you say, no, I don't want you fracking on my land, they'll just go to all your neighbors and bribe them basically and then eventually just you know put a frack pad on someone else's land go horizontal into your land and steal it that way and this is all like encouraged on top of like being anti-choice and being anti-marriage equality literally being the state that took marriage equality to the supreme court in 2015 in obergefell so that defiant that, that ohio is the state in that case fighting against marriage equality that late in the game and this is the guy they trot out they lose by the exact same margin and also lose States or, or areas in that country in that state that have not gone red since Nixon, like Youngstown, Ohio, has not gone Republican since Richard Nixon. And because of how despised he was and how poor that message resonated in post-industrial Rust Belt America, it flipped red for the first time. And this the an hour within it being called on Saturday, Kasich is on CNN saying, okay, I guess the answer, we just have to listen to Republicans. Yep, you guys, you Democrats right. have to yeah. listen. Who the fuck is putting this guy on TV? Why are we <laughs> listening to him? His entire theory has been disproven and repudiated. Why is he well, taken seriously? Here's the thing, and, and I think this is a big thing with all the, the anti-Trump Republicans. It really comes down, it's very cultural. So when they look at Biden, they see somebody who's basically a moderate Republican, and they're correct in thinking that based on his his voting record. They see somebody who's a moderate Republican, and they see somebody who has that same sort of polite veneer, the like professional man veneer, the Mitt Romney veneer, the John McCain veneer, where it's like, okay, this person acts like a politician, he's polished, and he has a pretty you know, moderate or conservative voting record. And that's what a lot of this comes down to, whether it's Mitt Romney or John Kasich or, or Bill Kristol, like all these anti-Trump Republicans, they want to continue the status quo while putting back, putting a smiley face back on the empire. And so Biden's yeah. like the perfect vehicle for that. And so it doesn't bother them that he's a member of the Democratic Party. What they're trying to do is latch on to the Democratic Party like a parasite and use it for their nefarious ends, which is more war and more t corporate tax cuts and things of that nature. And since they have the institutional power and since the media pumps them out, um, they actually will end up having more sway over the Democratic Party in a Biden era than the left will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is what I wanted to I wanted to mention this too because it's just that that was the whole logic behind getting behind Joe Biden in the first place, right? It's like we want to appeal to these like disaffected conservatives who are turned off by Trump, who find him too uh, uncouth and rude and all that stuff. Uh, even though it's that's the exact strategy that did not work in 2016, we want to do the exact same strategy again. So they they do all this maneuvering behind the scenes to ensure that they get the candidate they want. They they run the exact campaign that they want, which is him saying like, no no no, no green new deal. Uh, I love fracking, no Medicare for all, none of that, no, no none of that crazy stuff. Um, so. So they, you know, they get everything they want and they get the whole campaign that they want. And then so the, the results come in and Biden does manage to beat Trump. But 
as you pointed out, like the actual strategy of appealing to these moderate Republicans did not work at all. They actually voted for Trump more in this election um, than in the previous one. And down ballot, you have all these like blue dog weirdos and freaks get it losing. And still, somehow, the takeaway that over the next couple of days is like, ah, oh, those activists saying defund the police. That's the reason that that's the reason that we didn't take the Senate. That's the reason why we lost seats in the House. Um, and they're still finding ways to blame the left, uh, which is shocking. It just seems it's it's amazing how little how they're not able to take responsibility. Like we saw Nancy Pelosi on TV, I think yesterday saying like, oh, I'm not responsible for losing seats in the House. I'm responsible for the fact that we still, you know, we still won the House. Because I think my perspective of seeing like what AOC has been doing since the election is maybe, I think I'm maybe probably a bit more generous than you. I think she's been pretty good uh, at pushing back at this narrative uh, and not letting her, not letting her kind of, not letting them frame their their strategy that way uh maybe not as much as as maybe some of us would like but i think that's kind of the hard thing that people have with her sometimes when no one really knows where she actually stands because i think she's trying to like talk the liberal language and kind of trying to walk that line and while making peace with the establishment while also doing her own thing but i I do think she's been pretty strong over the last couple days in pushing back on that narrative though I think the the problem is she's not saying what you just said, which is actually it's your fault, Nancy Pelosi. Actually, it's your fault, Chuck Schumer. Actually, yeah. it's your guy's fault. What she's saying is, no, no, don't blame me. Let's get along. It's nobody's fault. That's that's what she's trying to say. She's like, whoa, 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 let's unify. Why are you feeding into Republican narratives? That's not the correct reaction. The correct reaction is, no, Nancy Pelosi, you are to blame. You just lost seats in a race against Donald Trump. You know, the Senate, 75% chance the Senate was going to be taken over by Democrats. Now it looks like it's probably not going to be taken over by Democrats. That's blown. This is Chuck Schumer's fault. This is Nancy Pelosi's fault. This is the fault of the corporatists. The blue dogs got wiped out from sea to shining sea. But, you know, everybody who supported Medicare for all won. Actually, going left is the way to win. And so this is what I mean because... You were like, oh, it's, I can't, it's astonishing that they would still blame the left. I don't think it's all that surprising because I predicted it beforehand that no matter what would happen, the left would get blamed. Because, of course, this is what they do. They're working backwards from their conclusion. So I predicted if Biden wins, right, Bernie did more rallies for Biden than anybody. Does Bernie get credit for Biden winning? No. Nobody says anything about, oh, maybe Bernie yeah. was the reason that Biden won. Nobody says that. Now, if Biden lost, who would be the first person to be blamed? Yeah. Bernie. Oh, Bernie's involvement. Yeah. In AOC. <laughs> He's the first one to be yeah. blamed. So if, if Biden wins, you get no credit. If Biden loses, you get all the blame. And just copy and paste that for, like we're saying, House of Representatives, for the Senate. So of course they were going to do this. And my issue with the left is there is no left that's willing to call a spade a spade and be like, no, actually, this is your fault, Nancy Pelosi. This is your fault, Chuck Schumer. This is the corporatist fault. Now, there are reasons why they wouldn't say that, that are, that are, that are logical reasons, namely... They feel like if I do that, maybe I'm sacrificing some sort of future power that I could have that could be used for good. Maybe I'm sacrificing some sort of committee seat that might end up being very useful in the future. Like, this is the mindset. This is the thought process that they go through. And it's not illogical, but the problem with it is I think you actually would get more accomplished because the only leverage the left has is with the people. The fact that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez probably has the most Twitter followers of anybody in all of Congress, and she's, you know... a sophomore congressperson or whatever, right? So, like, the way that you actually get power and use it if you're on the left is to use that bully pulpit. Use the only tool you have, which is the power of the people. So what I would do is directly call out Nancy Pelosi. It's actually, this is your fault. This is your problem. You know, your ideology is not something that's appealing to the majority of Americans, where mine is. Look at the polling numbers. I can prove it. 
Right, And so then what happens? Nancy Pelosi will probably take some sort of disciplinary action against AOC, but then you keep using the bully pulpit. You go out there and say, hey, guess what? I told the truth, and now she's punishing me for telling the truth. Maybe she shouldn't be speaker. Maybe I should be speaker. Maybe somebody like me should be speaker because we're more representative of the people. And you, she will get the headlines. She will get the media coverage. But you need the left to be comfortable with calling out these people in power and then being willing to have the media hate them. Like the media hated Bernie Sanders. They were going to hate Bernie Sanders no matter what, because Bernie Sanders threatened corporate interests. He threatened power. So since he actually threatens them, of course they're going to hate him. So, but what will you find, and it's not just with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I don't want to pick on her. It's, it's also Bernie. It's everybody who considers himself left and, and they're politicians. They're unwilling to sort of lean into this. Like Bernie, you could sense that Bernie, as he was getting shit from the media, he really wanted them to stop giving him shit and he wanted them to like, like him. And it's like, no, they're never going to like you. So you need to use that to your advantage, almost in a Trumpian type way. Where you say, yeah, okay, you guys hate me. And here's why you hate me. Because I'm going to raise your fucking taxes. <laughs> so you use that to your advantage. You use the only advantage you have, which is you have large numbers of people who love you. And you kind of accept having certain enemies and you fight that way as opposed to trying to go along to get along because they're never going to work with you in a way where you actually win on policy. And so you have to basically bend them to your will by any means necessary. And that's a long game, but I think it's the only game we have. Yeah. And I just wanted to point out as well, because you mentioned the Tea Party approach. Uh, and I think a big takeaway from that as well, uh, and the way that they were able to kind of uh, completely take over the Republican Party and then the whole United States government in a relatively short span of time, is that it's not like they primary like every single establishment Republican, but once they once like they got enough scalps, they kind of spooked the establishment, the old guard, into get falling in line and, and going along and, with what they wanted. And then they right? had a caucus, too, and we don't have a Justice Democrats caucus. We have a number of Justice Democrats there, but there is no actual progressive caucus. There's the Congressional Progressive Caucus, which is full of many people who are not progressive, and then there's the Justice Democrats, but we've, we've yet to see them vote as a steady block and do what you <laughs> said, which is kind of like behead people and hold it up and say, yeah, we're coming for you too. That might change. Uh, I hope the so. The I Intercept so. has done some reporting and we'll see. I mean, yeah, I'm with you. I, I, they need to do that because they could actually, they actually would have power in doing that. And I don't, I hope so. So the consolidation at the top looks like it would be Jayapal with Porter trying to be like, Porter's aiming for deputy chair and then Pocan's not going to be the chair anymore or co-chair with Jayapal. Um, and then also implementing somewhat rigorous standards to membership. So then you don't have, you know, people who ran as blue dogs and are now blaming AOC, uh, uh, Powell. And I think also Shalala were both in the CPC. There was a few others that were in CPC that lost. They were blue, blue dogs. Um, but like th there was obviously no ideological consistency or even semblance of it. So I think they're also going to try to implement some sort of like standard for CPC membership, not just, hey, I'm going to do this when it's convenient. Because they're also like Tim Ryan is in the CPC and he was one of the ones saying we need to attack to the middle. Like, just go fucking be a blue dog. Yeah. 
and I, I wanted to mention that we've already like we've touched on this, but I just wanted to mention it because of how fucking outrageous it is. Some of the comments that I've seen coming from the kind of like Democratic Party consultant class, this very like paternalistic, condescending, uh, the chiding of the activists in the street saying, stop saying defund the police. Stop oh. saying it. It doesn't poll well. It polls really badly. And, they, and they've kind of convinced themselves that this is the reason that a lot of these Democratic uh, seats were lost in this election. And like, first of all, it's preposterous on its face because it's like the activists in the street that are out there chanting defund the police they're not doing it so the democratic party can win seats they're doing it because they want to defund the police i mean it's not they don't work for the fucking democratic party so these idea that these like dc consultants are like tut-tutting people that are like literally out there protesting against brutal police violence and and like unaccountable uh murder um as acting like oh you're not you're not helping the democratic party like that's their fucking job uh but also number two and this is something we've talked about a lot recently as well but the fact that they're like they're so unwilling to go against the polling on something or try to like do political education to like change people's minds about these things um like how you you know it's like you can't just wait until something crosses 50 percent in a poll to then support it uh especially if it's the right thing to do like defunding the police is or like gay marriage was previously um and it's this this sick kind of tendency in the democratic party to uh do politics this way where it's like you're following the polls instead of trying to like change people's minds and you've seen how that can be effective um we saw in pennsylvania where fracking was like actually quite unpopular and then as soon as joe biden came out and said like oh no actually we will never ban fracking i refuse to ban fracking i love fracking and then you see the rank and file democrats support it and the polls flipped uh so it's like when they want to actually take a stand against the polls they will and the rank and file will follow but when it's on something when they that they need to have an iota of political courage to do like support defunding the police then it's like oh no no we can never do that we can never do that because it doesn't poll well and they're chiding these fucking activists in the street that are actually going out and doing the work uh of like you know protesting and and, and doing actual activism and being like no, no no you have to stop saying this because it doesn't help the democratic party it's just fucking preposterous yeah the assumption that like activists whatever activists are doing needs to be in accordance with what democratic leadership wants that's just ridiculous because it kind of it it flips on its head the whole idea of being an activist right like the whole idea of being an activist is you have in this issue that matters deeply and you want change on that issue so you're basically like protesting and lobbying on that issue and to have leadership almost try to pull a veto card and say like well i don't agree so therefore stop it's like well then okay then you're not what we're looking for basically and and that's another reason why it was kind of ridiculous that there was this right-wing attempt to sort of lump in biden with like defund the police people as if joe biden the guy who wrote the crime bill and basically is for more funding of police like somehow that guy is for defunding the police but but to your polling idea it actually i just had a light bulb moment when you were talking about that because it just occurred to me it actually has nothing to do with the polling because Democrats are just sort of um, showing that they have a reactionary agenda because on issues where the polling is nominally on their side, they don't fight for the thing. So like Medicare for all is at 70 percent. They don't want to fight for that because they don't believe in that because they're just reactionary and they want to protect the health insurance companies. Right. And living wage, 80 percent. In theory, they're for that, but they never talk about it, probably because they're not really that for it, because they also want to please corporations and corporations don't want to raise the minimum wage. And I can go down the list here of a number uh, legalizing 
recreational marijuana. That's over 60%. And, you know, you still have, maybe some Democrats are tiptoeing towards that position or saying, calling for decriminalization, but not full legalization. But like, that's another one where the polling is nominally with what's supposed to be the Democratic position, but they don't push for it. And the reason they don't push for these things, again, is simply because they have more of a reactionary agenda. And in this country, we have a far right party and a center right party. That's the Republicans and the Democrats. And so there is no real left option, which, you know, it gets to your point about polling. Yeah. And again, it's just it's also just preposterous to the idea that they've they've focused so much on defund the police as like the reason that it was a disappointing night for the Democratic Party um, when you in you can actually see a huge spike in voter registrations during these historic uprisings. Uh, and the fact that so many activists like in Georgia uh, and other places were like driving high turnout in those states like i think they, they, like the defund the police activists probably delivered more votes uh, to the democratic party than joe biden got by his kind of tepid uh you know train train give police more money uh to train them to shoot criminals in the legs and stuff um and it's amazing that that they can still turn around and blame the activists i mean i thought yeah you do touched on it as well i talked about it last week but just the fact that you know the the disconnect between what the activists want do we want to defund the police and then you have joe biden's saying like, no, uh, we're not going to do that. We're not doing that at all. We're going to give the police more money. It is in no uncertain terms telling this this group of activists that like their their concerns are not really like going to be an issue. They're not going to fight for any of that. They, so they do the exact campaign that they want, uh, that kind of very moderate conservative campaign with a very moderate, uh, moderate Republican uh, candidate like Joe Biden. And then when it doesn't work out, it's like, oh, those damn activists screwed us again and it's just it's amazing the way how willing they are to throw these folks under the bus well because again they're work they're working backwards from their narrative and their narrative is that the left is bad and the center right is glorious and so no matter what was going to happen they were going to do a square peg round hole situation where they're going to try to be like yeah this is why we got the results we got even though you know the evidence in in many ways is in the exact opposite direction but let me ask you a question because i'm unaware that anybody actually even ran on defund the police was there a single democrat who was proactively calling for defunding the police anywhere in the nation i think cory bush yeah cory bush is actually she's a justice democrat and she was a mm-hmm. you know an activist who's been out there in the streets ever since um mm-hmm. was it the michael brown killing i think it may have been the michael brown killing yeah um, and as much as as much as folks are blaming aoc for the whole defund the police thing it's not like she was campaigning on that either it's like she hasn't been even that's a criticism she's gotten from the left the fact that she talked about a lot about like abolishing ice and stuff before being elected and has kind of toned that down i think for that exact reason because she's getting pressure from the democratic establishment and she's still Still gets blamed for apparently, you know, pushing this stuff nonstop. Yeah, I mean, what I actually do have some disagreements with activists in ter- in terms of. First of all, I don't even really know what it means to defund the police, first of all. Second of all, I, I would actually, I do think that the strategically intelligent way to run campaigns is to take the issues where you, you have these giant polling leads and kind of hammer away on those because the way you win elections is to let people know, like, I'm where you are on these things, so that's why you got to support me because supporting me means you're supporting yourself. So, like, I do have strategic, you know, um, concerns in terms of how we should run these campaigns, but, you know, to your point, I don't think there was a single Democrat other than maybe Cory Bush running on defund the police in the first place. And, you know, on the other hand, the idea that this is singled out as the reason why there were losses among the Democrats is beyond preposterous because nobody's talking about that, number one. And number two, Nancy Pelosi controls the party. Chuck Schumer controls the party. It's Joe Biden who sets the national message. And the, 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 
permeating argument all along was like, we're never going to ban fracking and we don't want to do Medicare for all. Like these were the arguments that were really, you know, being heard throughout the country. And the argument was, I'm not Donald Trump. We're not Donald Trump. And it just so happens that that was only persuasive enough to barely defeat Donald Trump. And other than that, it kind of helped Republicans down ballot because Democrats let everybody know like, okay, Donald Trump is bad, but other Republicans actually might be pretty good. And so voters were like, you know what? We agree. We'll vote for Republicans down ballot and we'll get rid of Donald Trump at the top. And so that in a weird way, that message of the Democrats was actually like perfectly reflected in the results that like other Republicans did pretty damn well and Donald Trump lost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's 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 frustrating to see them use that as a rhetorical cudgel uh, to, you know, and also Democrats to cave into that right wing framing and, and attack progressives. But I think it's important to hold on uh, to small victories. And I, I'm sure you guys saw the news today. I can hardly contain myself. Uh, but the AP reported President elect Joe Biden is expected to take a historic step and select a woman head the pentagon for the first time how mm. pumped are we guys nice yeah i Love i've it. long desired uh, <laughs> a woman at the helm of the the largest military in the world and now people around the world will know when we're dropping bombs on them a woman signed off and i think that is a glass ceiling we can all be excited has been shattered. and i'm already seeing takes that are like well it's a little bit problematic some of these uh some of these white bro dude bro lefties <laughs> talking about how uh, oh they don't think it's good to have a woman leading the pentagon or leading the <laughs> state department and it's just like it's going to be a long fucking four years isn't it <laughs> they're, yeah, they're yeah. literally doing that meme the meme of like yeah. the drone strike and then the person's like Wow, I hear a woman's going to be dropping the next ones. Really makes you feel like a part of history. Yeah. Like, they're actually doing that meme in real life. I remember when MSNBC did a segment on this, and it was like, now the head of the military-industrial complex, or it might have been the head of the intelligence agencies, are all women. And they put up, like, the pictures, and it showed, like, you know, this one was at Raytheon, this one was at Boeing, and it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, you're doing the thing. You're doing the yeah. thing. Like, the empty identity signaling that makes you feel like you're a better person, even though you're just continuing imperialism. Yeah. Yeah, it's girl it, boss imperialism. We love the right. woman. The woman who did that tweet, uh, it was like the third way, like head of NASA yep. at third way. And I was just like, God, you couldn't even like, it just shows like they know the game and they're just playing it every single time and people are falling into it. And it's like, they know exactly what they need to say to keep this going because it continues to enrich them and know that they could just frame it as you were, you're not woke you're a misogynist or you're like you know like like the rob said you're a white dude bro for, for <laughs> opposing this you don't want women to advance it's like no we absolutely do but everywhere in the world no matter their color or creed or origin we don't want bombs being dropped on we want to dismantle the military industrial complex we don't just want to replace a man for a woman at the head of it like that's not progress and so often that kind of like representation in the most evil institutions is 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 conflated with actual social progress when nothing substantively changes that's right. And I think I think the brilliance of what they're doing is that they're trying to take certain things off the table and make it seem like it's the duh thing that everybody is supposed to agree to. So in other words, 
everybody's supposed to be like, oh, well, duh, obviously the United States is the world policeman and we should be the world policeman because we're morally superior and we believe in American exceptionalism. And so what would the world be like if we weren't basically running it and dropping bombs everywhere? So that's the duh thing that you're supposed to agree to if you're a Republican or a Democrat, a conservative or a liberal. And then like, so that's it. Once you agree to that, then yeah, then the debate becomes, would you rather have another white male running it or would you rather have a woman running it? And so these <laughs> liberals, these like, you know, MSNBC wine moms will be like, oh my God, I so want a woman running it. Oh my God. <laughs> and then when they get it, they celebrate these victories and you take a step back and you realize how empty, you know, the game is that we're watching. It's just like, oh my God, these are the, these are the things that are moral to you and, and ethical and like this is this is what matters to you that the genitals of somebody who's running the empire be a certain way and instead of ending the empire <laughs> yeah well that's i think that's going to be the frustrating thing that a lot of people are going to be seeing over the next couple of years which is that a lot of the liberal opposition to trump was was not really based in any kind of ideology but just more of this kind of like we want to have an immigration policy where where you know millions of people are being deported uh and you have these detention centers but as long as it's kind of like done in like a uh, you have the kind of like a woke exterior to it, then it's okay. Instead of Dr- Trump's like belligerent exterior, yeah, and, yeah. and it's almost more hypocritical too, in a way, right? Like, the, like okay, we're gonna do the same sort of stuff, but we're gonna pretend like we're good people. Whereas Trump's like, no, I'm actually a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, well, because yeah, like, now these arguments, now these arguments are coming up, and a lot of these people that have talked have talked endlessly about kids in cages over the last four years, which again is extremely important, and that's something that we should be working to. Uh, to like undermine and and fix uh but they see like oh they'll defend it the, you talk about obama's record and they're like no no it was good when he separated families it was good right, when he yeah. was exactly he was putting in kids in cages with their families it was, they put the cages in so it was better ventilation was one, an argument yeah, exactly. that someone tried to right. make to me yeah and there's there's no acknowledgement either like when when you would bring up the fact that actually barack obama deported way more people than than donald trump and even if you do just first term versus first term obama deported more like you bring that up and it's just radio silence Violence. Like they don't know how to respond to that because to them it was never really about like hey this is a bad thing it's more about like go team blue and yeah. we hate team red and so you realize how they're in it for all the wrong reasons which leads them to have to contort themselves and make themselves intellectual pretzels in order to try to apologize this stuff away yeah and like I said it's like as cruel and as horrendous as Trump's family separation policy is when you deport 2 million people or whatever the number was, that is also separating families. <laughs> many, many families in fact. Uh, but they can't seem to be, again, because it's the guy with the D in front of his name instead of an R doing it, then it's okay. And you realize that this is going to be the exact same justification they're going to be doing when Biden uh, carries on a maybe slightly less cruel but still very uh, terrible uh, immigration system. Yeah. The same, I said, right. last mm-hmm. night it was reported Cecilia Munoz, who was you know the chief defender of Obama's immigration policies for like the, the few years at the end of his tenure uh, is now appointed to Biden's transition team. And um, there is a there's a big listserv uh, that progressives are on um, that I think about to kind of cl- bring us back to the start when Bernie, the Bernie Joe Rogan thing happened. Hundreds and hundreds of emails flew around on that listserv. And the fervor was so palpable that people were comparing it to the rise of Hitler and saying this was like a presidential candidate cozying up to David Duke and this must be repudiated and everyone was falling over themselves and clutching their pearls because of that 30 second video that the Bernie campaign had cut 
of Rogan just talking about how he liked Bernie today. Three people. Yep. Three people have talked about the Cecilia Munoz thing. Radio fucking silence. And this is someone you I, I talked about a couple episodes ago. This is someone who, when I worked at the law school in DC, who that actively worked on this issue, when she came to speak to a class, the immigration clinic leader and people who were working on this issue spoke out and were told to be quiet because, like, oh, we want to be respectful to someone from the Obama administration. They're here. Like, this is nice of her to come. And it's like, wait a minute. You have a service learning trip where you send students down to the border to work with races, that group that helps people uh, prepare for their credible fear interviews, among tons of other like critical things in the immigra- immigration space. Um, we are, you know, we're on the ground there. And you bring someone who is defending family separation to the school and people can't even dissent. Like, come on. And it's just like last night I saw people when I tweeted about the Cecilia Munoz thing. People in my replies were like, oh, you guys, you like human trafficking now. And like, Rob, like we talked about earlier, like just the aesthetics and like trying to frame it as compassion. Like, oh, well, you know, it's for better ventilation. And it's like, no. It's absolutely not. You put kids in cages. It's well documented. You, may, you might not have been as explicit in the family separation as like the intent, but you still did it. And people just threw up their hands like, oh, well, we had no choice. It was broken laws. That's completely bogus because when they found other bogus uh, other laws that they found to be unjust, like the Defense of Marriage Act, they just refused to back it. And that's why in U.S. versus Windsor, the DOJ wasn't even defending its own law because they deemed it to be unjust and immoral. So this, if they really wanted to find a way to do it, they would have done it. If they wanted to find a place to put these kids that was compassionate, they would have done it. This You have you never have any shortage of funds or resources or time or anything if you want to bomb somebody or you want to build a, a trillion dollar fleet of fighter jets. You never have any issues with bandwidth then. But when it's about a kid at the border who's separated from their family, oh, our hands were tied. How much would that have realistically cost? How much? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and by the way, you could sort of blame me for the Bernie Jill Rogan episode because I hooked him up together. No, no, I think it's, I honestly, in retrospect, I think it's fine. And obviously the outrage was unwarranted. People were, there were some instances where groups that had not said anything during the primary. That was the, that was the one time they, they chose to speak out and issue a statement condemning Bernie. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, it's a joke. No, I mean, this is what they do. They weaponize fake outrage. Yeah. That's what that is. That's weaponized fake outrage. It was largely, honestly, it was largely like Warren, Warren people were trying to be like, oh, this is, you know, this, they were trying to like, 90, with that. well, it was a campaign that was based in hate. So, I mean, you gotta, yeah. you gotta call it out. <laughs> uh, foundation of, of hate. people. 90% of the people who will be in Biden's cabinet are way more egregious than Joe Rogan has ever been. Yeah. <laughs> or like people like yeah. John Kasich, who actually had political power, not didn't just say some controversial things like on a radio show, but literally legislated in a way that took people, gave people's rights away, that poisoned people's drinking water. That to me is worse than being a, a controversial talk show host. But I guess right. for some or, people, it's not quite the same, uh, same level. <laughs> or war criminals or family yeah. separators yeah. or yeah. Wall Street deregulators or, you know, all this stuff is just does way more real world harm than like edgy jokes that didn't land or platforming people that have, I think, deplorable views uh, and are wrong on, on on transgender issues. But like talking to them is like his crime. Like, I think he I, right, I, exactly. I, I mean, I'm in the camp that he should like n- probably not have him on because it's like he doesn't push back on that kind of stuff enough. Um, but I also don't think that's worse than someone who like deregulated the financial sector and led to the financial crash. 
Yeah, I mean, the sense I get from him is he feels... it When he gets the sense that somebody's not sincere or they're a grifter, that's when he cuts them off. But anything short of that, he's willing to talk to them even if they believe things that are just, like, insane. That's the sense I get from him. Now, yeah. it's, probably not the, it's probably not the same place where I would draw the line or you would draw the line. or yeah. I think everybody sort of has a different internal barometer for what goes too far and what doesn't. But the sense I get from him is that it's only when he thinks like, oh, this isn't even a person who really means what they're saying. They're just sort of found an angle. That's when he says too much, which is why you see Milo Yiannopoulos was on once, never on again. Um Dave Rubin was yeah. on a few times and never on again. Because I do enjoy seeing Dave Rubin like complaining about this passive aggressively now that he doesn't get the so funny anymore. It's the best thing I've ever seen in my yeah, life. <laughs> that's great. He's so hurt. Yeah. So Kyle, while we still have you here, uh, we've got another couple few minutes here. I was wondering if you could put your Nostradamus skills back into back into use, back into effect. Because um, let's see what we're so what we're looking at here. Like, what, what if you can game out the next couple of years? How do you think? this is going to go for the Joe Biden administration. Because I think the, the the conventional wisdom, the way that I kind of see things playing out is that they probably will not uh, take the Senate. I think it's unlikely. Maybe, maybe not. But I think, you know, going back to uh, following the Obama era and the kind of like the, the hope of that, the hope that they would actually use that power that they had to do something positive and how that gradually be, kind of became very disappointing. I think we can expect kind of the same thing from a Joe Biden administration, uh, except possibly, you know, he's, he's nowhere near as charismatic or as like intelligent or as, you know, as capable as Obama was. So um, I think it's probably leading the Democratic Party to a place in 2022 and 24 where it's not going to go really well. Um, our last guest, Benjamin Dixon, kind of pushed back on this a little bit and talked about how the left in America is a lot stronger now. And there, there are people that we are way more willing to like push them in that positive direction, which I think is true. So how do you think this is going to go for the Joe Biden administration? And do you think this is going to end in uh, a worse Trump or, or just Trump again in a few years? Or how do you think this is going to go? That's a that's a good question. Um, on some of those questions, I'm agnostic. On some of them, I'm more pessimistic than Benjamin Dixon. So, I somewhat disagree. I agree and disagree with Benjamin Dixon when he says the left is stronger than it's been. That it's true that the left is stronger than it's been, but the left is still only about 15 percent as powerful as it needs to be to actually affect real change. And I also don't don't think that there's a unified theory of change among the left. And there's too much disagreement on the left as to how to move forward, and that alone weakens the left. So, like like I was alluding to before. As long as you have AOC and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and and Bernie and all these people who mean well, they genuinely mean well, and I love them and I agree with them and all that stuff, but strategically, I think they're beyond naive to the point of it being comical. As long as they like try to do the whole go along to get along and and find a way to beat the system from within the system without harnessing movements of people and getting out in the street and stuff. I don't think we're going to have many successes on that front. Um, I also think that there are too many people on the left who will attack other people on the left for holding Joe Biden accountable and accusing them of being like, you know, helpers of Republicans, basically, if you criticize Joe Biden and you do it too aggressively, too vociferously. So like the left will continue to be at war with itself. I don't think we'll be too effective at uh, bringing about the change that we need. The good news is, I think, like I said before, in the first week of the Biden administration, you're going to see a lot of very positive thing- things happen. We're going to get back in the Paris Climate Agreement. He's going to sign a lot of executive orders that are things that, you know, 
people like us love rolling back some of the Trump deregulation, bringing back some, you know, coal plant regulation and things of that nature and signing whatever executive order he can on, on a variety of issues, including immigration issues, some trade issues, um, abortion even. Like, so there will be some positive stuff in the first week. But my prediction after that first week is that you see basically late stage Obama presidency happening in perpetuity. So like after the first week of Biden's time in office, it'll just be nonstop Republican obstruction, Republican obstruction, Republican obstruction, Democrats compromising on the compromise. Nothing gets done, but to the extent anything gets done, it's center-right policy. And that's where we're going to be basically for three years. And will it lead? Here's the interesting question. Will that lead to the rise of another Trump? It might. Trump himself will probably run in 2024 and he'll probably get the nomination. And then it, yes, you could see Trump win or you could see a worse Trump like Tucker Carlson or something win. But I'm also agnostic on the direction of the Republican Party a little bit because Trumpism is purely aesthetics. Like the appeal of Trumpism is purely the 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 look of cultural outsiderism. Like it's just I'm anti-establishment without actually being anti-establishment because he governs in a very pro-establishment way. So since Trumpism is basically a farce, it very quickly can implode. And I think that there will be a Republican civil war in the same way that there's a Democratic civil war where they're at each other's throats. You have the Trumpists versus the establishment types, and they're at each other's throats. Even though they agree on policy, the the cultural disagreements are too strong where there's going to be a fracture in that party. So I'm kind of agnostic on what happens with the Republican Party. It's possible you have Trump or another Trump rise to power and win, but it's also possible that they're permanently fractured along with the Democrats being permanently fractured. And basically, my my strongest prediction is sort of like a long-term gridlock where nothing good gets done and the people keep suffering. And then I don't know what happens as a result of that. I would guess more civil unrest, maybe more people in the streets, more riots, looting. Like I feel like that's inevitable because there's just too much pain out there and not enough ways to address it, whether it's more stimulus checks or, or whatever it may be. Yep. <laughs> well, Kyle, uh, thanks so much for coming back on the show, man. It's always great to um, get your perspective on this stuff. And uh, I know regardless of what happens, what what is in store for the United States over the next um, couple of years, it's going to be, you're going to be breaking it down every week uh, and giving your unique spin on it. And we look forward to it and we love it. So thank you for coming back on the show. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Of course. You want to just uh, let everyone know where they can find your find your show and all your oh, stuff? Oh, sure. Sure. Um, at Kyle Kalinske on Twitter and uh, Secular Talk on YouTube. Great. Well, Kyle, thanks again, and we will talk to you soon. Take all care. Right. Thanks, guys. Yep. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps, and please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful, and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban, so please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye. Goodbye.